You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast and today on the show we are talking about everything longevity and anti-aging. We're going to be touching on questions like can humans really live forever and how can me and you the listener live longer lives. I am joined by Dr. Gil Blander who is the Chief Scientific Officer at Inside Tracker where he works alongside Dr. David Sinclair. Dr. Blander received his PhD in biology from the Wiseman Institute of Science and completed his postdoctoral fellowship at MIT before going on to found Inside Tracker. So, I'm sure you're wondering, Lewis, how can I live longer? Well, let's find out. Dr. Gil Blander, welcome to the Freedom Pack podcast. Thank you so much, Luis. So one of the reasons we wanted to get you on is um, our audience, when we ask them what topics they're interested in, it seems to be at the moment everyone is interested in this idea of longevity. Everyone is talking about anti-aging and longevity. Why do you think that it's such a popular topic that people are interested in right now? Yeah, I think that uh, everyone wants to live forever. And uh, actually, if I will go for myself, uh, I, I started to be interested in that when I was very young. Actually, at the age of 12, a relative of mine passed away from cancer. And instead of being sad about her, I was sad about myself because I realized that I won't live forever. And then I uh, actually started uh, my quest to immortality. Obviously, I haven't uh, done well yet, and I'm not sure that I can uh, live forever. But what I'm trying to do is to allow us to live a longer, better life. So I think that everyone, uh, uh, sometimes in his uh, lifespan, uh, realizes that he's not immortal. And then he's trying to see, how can I squeeze another year? How can I live uh, a bit longer? How can I spend another few weeks with my uh, loved one? Uh, so I think that it's no-brainer to try to live longer, but I think that there is a, a we need to distinguish between lifespan and health span, because uh, you can see a lot of people that uh, are actually uh, I don't know in their 70s or 80s that actually they are living in a nursery uh, house, basically they are uh, lying on the bed with a lot of tube connected to them, and they are still alive, but their uh, health span is over. So I don't want to get to that situation. I want to live longer, but also have a longer health span. So I think that the most important part is not longevity, but also actually health span, to increase the health span mm -hmm. and to allow us when we are retired uh, to travel the world, to read books, to listen to good music uh, and uh, have fun. Uh, so, so I think that that's why everyone wants to live longer. Mm. Do you think, obviously, no one's ever going to be immortal, but do you think we could ever get to a place as humans, um, maybe, you know, hundreds of years down the line, 
where humans consistently averagely live into maybe a hundred years old plus? Yeah, I think that that's definitely doable because if you look at the uh, two centuries ago in the 1900, the average lifespan, it's unbelievable, but it was maybe around 40. Mm. And uh, at the end of the last century, it was, I don't know, 70 to 80. So I, I wouldn't say that it's a far-fetched that we will average above 100. Uh, we know that the uh, longer-lived, documented, well-documented person uh, lived around, I don't know, 170 to 120. So definitely we can reach there. You, what you are asking, can the average be there? Meaning that uh, less of us will die earlier. And now we have a, a, a big pandemic of the COVID and it's <laughs> actually um, most likely will decrease the average lifespan. And uh, I'm sure that we'll discuss the COVID maybe later. Uh, but uh, um, so, so I think that it's doable. Uh, but in order to do that, you need to uh, treat yourself from very early on. So even someone in your age should start uh, thinking about what can I do now in order to have a longer lifespan, maybe a longer health span, uh, when I will be older. Uh, because there are a lot of things that you can do when you are younger to, to get to that. And I assume that that's why people are so fascinated about that. Because a lot of it is under our control. Mm, absolutely so there's nature there's nurture a lot of people tend to just assume that everything comes down to nature um before we address that and maybe talk about the nurture side what dna markers are directly correlated to longevity yeah so i think that uh, uh, and i think that you spoke about it with uh, david sinclair in a, a former uh, interview hmm. uh, or dr david sinclair um, there is a, a big excitement right now uh, about uh, what we call epigenetic clock or Horvath clock, which basically uh, looking at the, uh, the modification of the, the DNA, methylation of uh, the DNA. And what uh, Dr. Horvath, is a professor at uh, UCLA, uh, found that uh, you can find a very nice correlation about the level of the methylation of a specific site on your genome, and actually there are millions of sites on your genome that are methylated, and that's actually controlled the transcription of a, the genes on the genome, uh, that is correlated to your age. So if you look at a, a bunch of those, uh, the, the smallest amount that you found is 50-something, and the highest is a few hundred thousand, and you try to correlate it uh, to the age of these people, you can find a correlation that is amazing. Like uh, you can uh, look at the methylation of, let's say, of uh, your uh, genome, and it can come and give you your age in the certainty of 99.99%. Oh. So it's a really amazing uh, tool that basically we can look at everyone and without asking what is your age, or even without uh, knowing you, we can come say, hey, this person is uh, at the age of, I don't know, 25, and then it will be like a, a very likely that uh, we are right. So I think that that's a, a very exciting uh, a progress that happened in the last few years. And uh, I know that uh, Steve and, and other right now, including uh, actually Dr. Sinclair, are working on a, a lot of different kind of clocks uh, to make them a, a bit more interesting. One of them called a Grimhage that uh, you can actually uh, know or predict when someone will die, which is a bit scary, but uh, that's something that uh, uh, 
Dr. Steve Horvath is doing. Uh, we are actually trying to, uh, to work on a, a, a something else, and maybe we'll get to that later, but uh, I have to say it now, is a, a, a clock that is a lifestyle uh, responsive. Because if you look at what uh, uh, the Horvath clock, or what Steve Horvath developed, it's, it's not easy to modulate it. Basically, you test once, you know that, I don't know, you are 25, but you cannot uh, start eating more oatmeal or exercise more or lose weight, most likely the, 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 your age won't change. So we are trying to use this amazing clock and find a site on the genome that will allow, you, will allow us to tell you, hey, you are uh, 25, but your uh, Horvath clock age is 40, but don't worry. Uh, if you will exercise and eat more oatmeal and uh, I don't know, sleep eight hours instead of two hours, uh, in six months, your age will go down to 35. So th this clock is not doing that yet, but uh, we are trying to develop something like that to allow people to actually uh, give them more motivation and also allow them to modulate this uh, clock. Because I think that's very important uh, in order to uh, engage people to give them something that they can do in order to improve. That's so fascinating. So would you say that when people think about longevity, um, everyone in the world today, everyone's fascinated with supplements, everyone wants a quick fix. But would you say that day-to-day -day life is the most important factor in terms of longevity? Yeah, so <laughs> there are a lot of things, but uh, if you ask me what are the, the top, uh, I would say that... Uh, uh, it's very important to sleep well. Sleep is, uh, uh, I don't think that is underrated anymore uh, because uh, everyone understands that sleep is important, but uh, not everyone taking it into consideration. Mm -hmm. So uh, sleep well is definitely uh, very important. Exercise is super important. Uh, and uh, some of us are not exercising enough. Some of us are exercising too much. Mm -hmm. So uh, there, there is uh, some population that need to, relax and take a day off. Uh, so, and also what kind of exercise is good for you? So uh, you asked me something very general, but uh, uh, I'm sure that you know that we are looking and trying to basically fit a plan specific for you based on what's happening inside your body. And I assume that we'll discuss it later. So exercise is very important. Some uh, need more uh, um, endurance, some need more strength. Some uh, need more what we call HIIT or high, interval, high intensity interval training. So exercise is very important. And nutrition is super, super important. Mm -hmm. So if you look at uh, uh, the average uh, person, let's say average American, I live in the US. So average American in an average week uh, consume 20 food items, okay? We could, and most of us consume the same food item. I assume that you are in the UK. I don't think that our diet is very different. So we are consuming 20 food items. But when you look at the uh, amount, the availability of food, or the kind of food that we have, there are around 8,000 different food items, okay? But we are consuming 20 of them. So basically we have a universe like that and we are consuming a very small part of the universe. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at uh, uh, my diet and your diet, I assume that they will be very similar. So we are, not only that, most of us consuming the same food. We consume uh, uh, some uh, poultry and some uh, uh, dairy and some uh, grain and very, very similar food. But there is a lot of things around us and some, some things are very, will be very good or beneficial for you. Some will be very beneficial for me. 
So I think that fitting the right food for you, uh, based on what's happening in your body, is also a, a very, very important. And then we have a, a, a other a, a lifestyle, lifestyle a, a intervention, like for example, you have a lot of vitamin D, go outside, uh, um, and uh, uh, do some meditation, and so on. Um, and supplements are important, but I would say, if you cannot fix it by food or exercise, or if it's too hard, then go to supplement. But I wouldn't recommend supplementing it. So what we mentioned there, we mentioned uh, sleep, we mentioned exercise and nutrition. So let's, let's go by those one by one. If we're looking at sleep then, I think a lot of people underestimate how much sleep they need to function properly. If you were just to say, you know, a, a g- generalized, how many hours of sleep consistently do you personally try to get then? Is it seven hours? Is it eight? What are you trying to consistently get? Yeah, so I'm a bit more complex because I'm looking at it in a, a higher resolution. So, mm. so let's, uh, let's talk about the uh, average person before and then I'll go to myself. Okay. So for the average person, uh, uh, six to eight hours considered to be a good amount of sleep. Believe it or not, uh, sleeping too much is also not good. So sleeping more than nine hours a night uh, consistently is not so good. Uh, definitely less than that is not good. Um, and, but it's not only the amount of uh, sleep, it's also the routine of sleep. So our body have the chronobiology. We need to, we are working in a, a circle of 24 hours. So uh, you need to try as much as you can to go to sleep at the same time every night. Uh, you need to try to uh, fit a routine. And uh, for example, all the day is a preparation for the sleep in a way. So don't drink too much coffee uh, unless you are insensitive to coffee uh, uh, before sleep. Uh, don't drink too much alcohol. There is a lot of uh, data that show that alcohol before uh, sleep is not good. It's the, decreased the quality of the sleep. And again, we can get to that later. Um, Try not to exercise too late. Again, I'm going to generalize. Some people, it doesn't affect them at all, but uh, some other. You want to go to a long run, try to do it in the morning or at lunch, but don't do it uh, two minutes before you fall asleep. Um, uh, Now, there are a lot of other things that influence the sleep. The temperature of the room, uh, the noise, uh, the humidity. Um, So so there are so many things that uh, influence sleep, and actually... uh, uh, what I'm doing and what we are doing at the uh, Insta Tracker, my company, is we started to integrate with Activity Tracker. And the Activity Tracker gives you another layer of sleep. So we have sleep and you have the time of sleep, but then you have a few phases of the sleep. You have REM sleep, rapid eye movement, you have deep sleep, you have light sleep, and then you have awake time. So uh, you need to try to optimize all of them. And for each of them, there is a range. So that's why I said there is a, a, the low definition and there is a high definition. Hopefully, I, I, I haven't confused you. No, it's perfect answer, man. And um, you mentioned inside tracker there. Do you want to just explain what that is to our audience and what you're trying to achieve with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, as I said, uh, um, I was always fascinated by the aging process, and uh, that's why I actually came here to the U.S., to MIT. I spent five years uh, at the lab of Flanagan Rente, which is uh, one of the leading scientists that uh, studying aging. And actually, at that lab, I met uh, David Sinclair, which was a former postdoc at the lab. Um, and as I said, I always wanted to live longer, a better life, and uh, 
but uh, to cut long story short, I uh, started my company a few years ago, and the idea was uh, that we are trying to allow people to live longer, better life based on what's happening in their body. Uh, and also we were trying to build it in a way that it will allow us to use only natural and simple intervention. So I don't want to use drugs, I just want to recommend people to use a natural uh, um, substance. So what we are doing, we are looking at uh, you inside, because some people can look amazing from the outside, but actually in, from the inside they are starting to look not so pretty. And they don't know that because it's very hard to know. And uh, as of today, at least, you cannot con uh, connect a computer to your brain and the computer will tell you, hey, you have a problem X, A1, A, B, C, replace that and you are good. You cannot do that. So we said, okay, let's look at the blood. And why blood? Because blood validate and calibrate everything. We have like, a, there are around 4,000 different blood biomarkers available today. So we said, let's look at them. And based on the blood biomarkers, let's uh, recommend the user what food to eat, what exercise to do, what lifestyle changes to do, and also what supplement to take. And then the person can optimize himself. So it's very personalized. We are looking today at around 45 blood biomarkers. We're also looking at your genetics. So uh, we, and the genetic helping us to give you the predisposition. So for example, let's assume that I have high glucose. It will be interesting for me to know whether I'm predisposed to have high glucose because of my genetics or not. Let's assume that I predisposed to have high glucose. Basically, I got the bad cards, meaning uh, my starting point is high already. But if I work hard, I can take it down, okay? So that's an example of high, a, a, a predisposition to high glucose. But I can be lucky. I can have a glucose that is, a, I, 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 I have low chance to be predisposed to high glucose. So then my starting point is good. But if I have a high glucose in my blood, that means that basically I'm slacker. Uh, uh, my genetic is good, but uh, I'm going up, so I have actually a better chance to take it down. Okay, so we are combining blood and DNA, and also activity tracker, and all of that together give us an ultra uh, resolution of our body, and that's allow us to give you a very uh, precise recommendation, what should you do in order to allow, your, to optimize yourself, and hopefully allow yourself to live a, a longer, better life. So for our audience listening who might be completely new to this subject, can you just explain to them in, in simple terms what biomarkers are and what the key biomarkers that are strongly connected to longevity are? Oh, definitely. So a biomarker is, a, a, as, it, as the name, is a marker that a, is a, a bio come from your body. So it can be a biomarker is a, a, some a blood biomarkers such as glucose, testosterone, hormones like cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. A vitamins like vitamin D and vitamin B12, the level of iron that you have and so on and so forth. Um, and so that's blood biomarkers. Then you have DNA biomarkers. So it's basically there it's a bit more complex because it's, it started with something that called SNP or single nucleotide polymorphism. What does it mean? It's basically you have a, a location in your genome that basically are a bit different between you and me or between two people. So let's assume that in a specific area I have AA, you might have AC, okay? That's a, a single nucleotide polymorphism, meaning that one nucleotide is different between you and me. 
So that's a genetic marker, but that's not good enough. So what we are doing, and actually the scientific community doing, is combining a lot of uh, those single nucleotide polymorphism together into a score, and the score is more simple to explain. It's basically exactly what I said before. You have high predisposition to have high glucose or low predisposition to have high glucose. And then you have a, what I call physiomarker. And we discussed it before. That can be the REM sleep, the deep sleep. Resting heart rate is very important. A heart rate variability is another one. So there are a lot of a, sort of a physiological marker that can be also a biomarker. Hmm. So if we jump back to what we were talking about, let's go back to exercise. So I think exercise is something that means something completely different to, to everyone. Um, I spend a lot of time in the gym and, you know, you see people who come in every day and it's cardio, cardio, cardio. There's other people that come in and it's heavy weights, heavy weights, heavy weights. Yes. Um, so this is something that's interesting to me because for me at the moment, if we use me as a case study here, so I go to the gym five to six times a week and I'd say 90% of that is weight training or resistance training. Um, so I'm just wondering in terms of longevity, what does the science tell us is the, the optimum type of um, exercising we should be doing and, and how long for? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great uh, a question and I'm not sure that I, I, I'm having the, uh, the full answer. But um, so, so everyone uh, need, might need a different exercise. And again, we know that based on looking at the biomarkers. So some biomarkers are easier to obtain, like a resting heart rate. I'm not sure if you have a, a smartwatch or activity tracker, but the, the smartwatch or activity tracker have a resting heart rate. So when your resting heart rate is higher, uh, that's mean that you might be in exercise too much. And maybe it's a good time for you to, uh, to uh, take a break or to take a day off or do yoga or do some mindfulness. Um, when your resting heart rate is lower, uh, maybe it's a good day for you to exercise even harder. There is another great biomarker for that called rest, uh, uh, heart rate variability or HRV. And that's actually going in the different direction. When it's higher, it's actually better. So that's a, a, a physiological marker. Now, if you look at blood, there are a lot of markers that related to uh, athletic activity. So it's, there is a marker that's called creatine kinase. It's actually a, a protein that is uh, located in the muscle. And when you exercise a lot, this protein leaks into the bloodstream. And then it's uh, actually uh, concentrated in the bloodstream and actually signal that you are breaking muscle. And uh, as you told me, you are, you are spending six days in the gym to lift weight, you want to build muscle. So it's not good that you have a lot of creatine kinase. So when you have high creatine kinase in, in your bloodstream, that suggests that uh, uh, maybe you work too, too much and you rupture your uh, muscle tone, and maybe you should take a day uh, off. Other markers that are very important for that are actually testosterone, which is the, a sex hormone, very important for males to reproduce, but also important actually for females. Mm. And cortisol, which is the uh, stress hormone. So the ratio between uh, uh, testosterone to cortisol is very important. Why? Because testosterone is a hormone that builds muscle, and cortisol is an hormone that uh, breaks muscle. So if the ratio is not good, that means that you're actually uh, breaking muscle. So even if you continue to, let's assume that you will lift uh, weight every day for a month, most likely 
uh, the ratio will go down, and then even so that you are lifting weight a lot, you are actually breaking muscle. Um, so knowing this ratio and basically working based on that, it's uh, very, very important. Another market that's important for that is the uh, market for inflammation. So when you exercise a lot, you uh, uh, temporarily increase inflammation. And again, inflammation is not good for the body. So you need to monitor that. If you have only temporary inflammation, it's okay. But if you have a systemic inflammation, it's not good, and you need to find the, the reason for that. Um, Marker that is very important for uh, uh, athletic active population, especially uh, runners and young women, is uh, 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 all the markers related to iron. Uh, because uh, when you run, you tend to bleed from your gut and lose some uh, uh, blood, and then your iron will go down. But also young we women are actually have the cycle, so they're losing blood. And a lot of the young uh, uh, women have lower level of uh, iron, which they don't know about it. And that can be very bad, not only for the performance, but uh, the athletic performance, but also general performance, because the uh, iron transfer the oxygen from your lung to the muscle and the brain. And when you have a, a low level of uh, iron, you have a better chance to um, basically to perform worse uh, at work or at uh, school. So it's very important to have the right level of uh, iron in your uh, body. So if we're talking about diet now, um, what would you say are the must-have staples uh, in our diet, the things we must be including and the things that would be terrible to neglect? Yeah, so again, I, I, I'm a big believer in personalization. So mm. I can uh, tell you something that is more uh, general. Yep. Um, so I think that uh, first you need to eat a, a balanced diet. So uh, maybe I'll start with what you shouldn't eat, okay? Yeah. So uh, try to eat as less as possible uh, from takeout or from restaurant. Uh, try to eat uh, as natural food as you can at home, okay? Second, uh, try to eat, not to eat food that come in a package. So no uh, uh, potato chips, no uh, uh, something that will come in a can. Try to eat more fruit and vegetable and uh, even meat. Eat it with uh, meat that uh, you cook and not meat that come uh, uh, pre-cooked. Yeah. So those are uh, uh, definitely uh, uh, two no's that uh, if you just do that, you will improve significantly. Mm. Then there are a few uh, kind of foods that are very important to eat. Uh, uh, one of them that we recommend to a lot of InstaTracker users is oatmeal. Uh, and oatmeal is uh, basically a, a grain that uh, very high in fiber that uh, uh, allow you to um, uh, first uh, absorb the uh, high amount of fiber that uh, allow you to modulate the level of uh, um, very important uh, markers that related to metabolism, such as cholesterol and glucose. So that's definitely a... a a, a very important food that I'm trying to, uh, to eat every day, if I can. Uh, beans are also very good because of that. They have a lot of fiber. So uh, another one that I think that are very important that I'm not following too much. Uh, try to eat fish as much as you, not as much as you can, but uh, at least twice a week, because you have all the omegas, and uh, uh, they are almost the only food that have substantial amount of vitamin D. Uh, so that's also very uh, 
important in my opinion uh, uh, to eat at least twice a week and also it's not easy to do that. Um, another regime that I'm doing that uh, I'm sure again that you heard from uh, David Sinclair is uh, what we call intermittent fasting. So that's not what to eat but when to eat. So I, I'm trying to uh, uh, fast my body for uh, let's say 16 to 18 hours a day and only have a, a shorter window of uh, feeding. Um, there, there is a lot of data for model organisms that show that it's uh, uh, beneficial, obviously for longevity, um, but also uh, beneficial for metabolism and also beneficial for your weight or BMI. Um, and a lot of the markers that I discussed before, a metabolic marker, glucose, cholesterol, which are super important. Mm. So those are a few examples of uh, intervention that you can do that can help you significantly to uh, improve your uh, welfare. Fasting is something I definitely want to talk about. But before we get there, something I really want your opinion on is um, in the nutrition world, there's this massive debate going on at the moment. Um, there seems to be some uh, momentum behind the carnivore diet. And every health expert I've spoken to on this show, they always say that carnivore uh, diet is a, is a bad idea. Um, and, you know, the better approach is to, is to stick to plant-based diets. Um, so, you know, the audience would, would hate me if I didn't ask you, what is your opinion on this red meat, strictly red meat carnivore diet that people like Dr. Sean Baker or Joe Rogan seem to be uh, talking about so much? Yeah, so I would say the following. Um, I think that it might be a good fit for some people, hmm. uh, but it's uh, definitely, as you said, I don't think that it's a good fit for most of us. Hmm. And why I'm saying that it's a good fit for some people. If you don't have a, a high cholesterol, or if you don't have a, a, a cardiovascular issues, um, I don't think that it's a, a, it might be very bad for you. So you can, you can do that. But if uh, you are not monitoring your biomarker and you're following this diet, there is a, a, a better chance that you will uh, suffer later in life. So I'm saying if you are doing those diets or those experiments, a paleo diet and a red meat diet and other, uh, you need to monitor yourself and be sure that uh, you are not making a lot of harm to your body. And the same for the other direction, for example. If you are going vegan, and uh, uh, you don't eat any meat or dairy, you have a high chance to have uh, issues that you need to monitor and uh, intervene for. Uh, you have a high chance to have low uh, vitamin B12, which is a very important vitamin. You have a high chance to have low iron. So uh, I think that, uh, I, I don't think that uh, uh, you can come and say this diet is good for everyone, or this diet is good or bad, we need to understand your body and then to feed the best body for, uh, uh, diet for you. Um, so, so, so I don't want to come and say this one is very bad and this one is very good. This one is very good for one person. This one might be very good for another person. And the idea is let's feed the best diet for you. Mm. We seem to have sparked a bit of a debate on this show um, because we did speak to, to Sean Baker, but we also spoke to um, people like Dr. Michael Greger and Dr. Will Bolshevitz who are, really passionate about plant-based diets. Um, and they talk about the dangers of red meat. They'd say that they're, they're highly carcinogenic. 
Um, there's links between, you know, eating a vast amount of red meat and cancer. Do you think there's any truth in that? I think that uh, uh, there is a truth that uh, uh, if you look at the peer-reviewed scientific publication and you look at uh, the data about uh, um, vegan or a veggie diet, you can see a lot of benefit for that. So definitely there is a lot of benefit of that and also definitely the Mediterranean diet. But again, those study was done on a specific population. Um, those uh, studies are not uh, studies that are a, a, a good fit for an end of one experiment. So again, I'm, I, in general, I agree with them that uh, if you want to choose diet and you don't want to uh, get into all the details around it and say, okay, I'm choosing one diet and I want to be vegan for now. Vegan is much better than going and uh, uh, becoming a carnivore and eating red meat for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I completely agree with that. But if you really want to go and eat uh, red meat for uh, breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner, I would strongly suggest that you will monitor yourself, you will try to see if you get harm. And there are a lot of markers that show that. One thing I really wanted to, to go back to was uh, you mentioned intermittent fasting. Um, I'm someone, I'm really bad when it comes to this. I'll, you know, if I wake up in the morning and I'm hungry, I'll eat. If I'm, you know, going to bed and I'm hungry, I'll eat. I don't seem to be able to fit it in. Um, but you say that, you know, it's optimum to try and get eating into an eight hour window. Why is that the case? What health benefits directly come from, you know, eating in that? Uh, eight-hour window and then having a, a prolonged fasting period then? Yeah. Um, so uh, th th there are a few. I I'll start with uh, maybe more the high level. So uh, our body is a machine, and uh, the machine have like a, a tube that get all the food uh, from the top to the bottom, and then it go out. And this uh, tube is uh, working all the time. So it's basically, it's like a machine that's working all the time. So the machine needs some uh, rest time. It's, it cannot work all the time. You know, a machine that's working all the time uh, get uh, broken uh, earlier. But uh, if you look at a, a, a more like a scientific view of that, you can see that a, a intermediate fasting uh, get a lot of benefit for uh, the human being. So uh, we have seen uh, data from the literature that uh, uh, people that stay on intermittent fasting, even without uh, monitoring the amount of calories, they tend to lose weight, okay? So it's a, a, it's a good way to lose weight. It's also pretty easy because you don't need to count calories and you just come and say, and, uh, basically you have two points that you need to, say, to do something. I'm starting to eat now and I'm stopping to eat. And that's it. You don't need to so say, oh, I'm, I will eat more that and less than that. It's, it's uh, you know, uh, there are 8,000 different food items. It's very hard to, to change diet and calculate it. That's pretty simple intervention. I, I, I'm, I, stop eat, I will start eating at 11 and stop eating at, uh, at 7 p.m. And that's it. So that's one. The second is that there are a lot of uh, biomarkers, especially blood biomarkers, uh, cholesterol and glucose, and also inflammation markers, but also a blood pressure that have been shown to significantly improve following a, a intermittent fasting, okay? Now, um, related to longevity, we don't have enough data to come and say that uh, uh, in human, when you do intermittent fasting, you live longer. Uh, because we live, uh, as we discussed before, 80 years, 
the experiment will be long and the people are doing it, but uh, it might take some time to, to have enough data. But there is a lot of data and uh, David Sinclair actually is uh, one of the pioneers in that, that show that uh, um, doing uh, intermittent fasting or uh, a caloric restriction in model organism show to significantly improve the, uh, the lifespan of the uh, animal. And he showed it in uh, mice and rats, and uh, uh, they showed it in uh, worms and yeast and uh, fish. And even in monkeys, there is a data that show that uh, intermittent fasting can increase the longevity. So I think that uh, if you think about it seriously, that's one of maybe the only lifestyle intervention that we have that have been shown to increase lifespan in so many model organs. So if we talk about um, more prolonged fasting, then I heard um, doc, we mentioned him, Dr. David Sinclair. I heard him on a podcast uh, just the other week talking about fasting for one to four days sometimes. Um, and he's talking about how that can uh, switch on these these defenses in the body and almost act like a bit of a, a reboot system for the body. Is that true? And how do you feel about prolonged periods of fasting and what they can do for the body? Yeah, I, I think that it's a, a prolonged fasting is not bad uh, if you monitor yourself. Okay, um, uh, I'm a Jewish, and actually uh, a couple of days ago it was Yom Kippur, and I fasted for 25 hours, and uh, actually I, I felt great. Uh, and I think that it's good uh, for your body to clean the uh, the body. I think that uh, for uh, uh, four days uh, every month it's it's not bad if you can. Uh, can obtain it. I don't think that everyone can do that. It's not easy. And uh, uh, definitely don't make a very important decision when you are uh, after four days or uh, at the last uh, hour of the four-day fasting. Uh, your uh, uh, brain is compromised. Your muscle are comp- Don't run marathon when you do that. Uh, if you are an athlete, don't do that. <laughs> it's not good for you, uh, especially someone like you that uh, uh, lift weight. It's good for the... Uh, average person that uh, want to do it once, uh, I don't know, months and clean his uh, body, it's okay. But again, they are, you need to monitor yourself and don't uh, get to a situation that you will go to the ER. So if it's too much for you, just stop and uh, drink and eat and uh, continue with your... But I don't think that it's bad. I agree with uh, David Sinclair. It's, it's not bad if you can obtain it. Mm. So I know my, my co-host on this show has, has tried a, a four-day fast before. I've never tried it. But... I'm wondering if, say, I was to try four days, how could I make sure I was doing it safely? What are the things I could monitor and look out for um, to know that whether it was time to stop or if it was becoming dangerous? Yeah, so you can uh, measure your uh, resting heart rate, which is uh, pretty easy to do, and uh, maybe the heart rate variability. Uh, Blood pressure is another one that it's not hard to do. Uh, but you can also look at some uh, biomarker and see what uh, what's happening in your body. But that will be hard. So I think that it's more like a, a um, self-reported measure that you feel like, uh, if you feel like that you are going to faint, don't uh, stop it. Or uh, if you uh, feel that you cannot do anything but just dreaming about uh, the next meal. So nothing will happen. It's not, uh, I don't think that it's... Uh, good to to push it just to say that you fasted for four days. I never done it. 
I'm actually was thinking to doing it, but I never had a chance to do it. I'm, maybe I'm too busy to do it because I have too many meetings and too many uh, calls and too many things to do. Uh, and uh, uh, but uh, again, I don't think that it's bad if you can obtain it. Something I think it would be ignorant of me to ignore, given the current uh, situation in the world right now. We mentioned COVID nineteen earlier, and at the moment, I see on podcasts, books, uh, TV interviews, everyone's talking about uh, boosting the immune system. So what would you say are the absolute must-do habits or hacks to optimize our immune system? So first, sleep well. Sleep is so important, and as we said before, it's uh, underrated. Um, Second, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, data recently about, especially about COVID and vitamin D. And uh, I'm sure that you heard about vitamin D a lot of time, but uh, vitamin D is a very important vitamin, mainly for, uh, together with calcium, to build muscle, sorry, to build the uh, uh, bones. And, uh, but vitamin D is also involved in a lot of other uh, uh, processes in the body. And one of them, which is not completely clear, is uh, how it's doing it, is uh, boosting the immune system. And also, maybe uh, uh, from the data from the literature recently, uh, during the uh, COVID uh, uh, infection, uh, you get like a, a cytokine uh, attack and your internal cytokines are going crazy and going uh, 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 exploding. And somehow uh, people with a higher level of vitamin D uh, behave better than people that have a, a lower level of vitamin D. So I think that uh, monitoring the level of vitamin D and having sufficient amount of vitamin D is very important. From our data, database, we see that uh, around half of the population, at least in the US, have uh, low vitamin D. So that's something very important to measure. And then if you are low, uh, a supplement with vitamin D and try to get to the right level. Uh, another one is uh, vitamin C which is, a, a, again, is antioxidant and a, a, a very important player. Um, but measuring inflammation is super important. So um, looking at a marker such as a CRP, a C-reactive protein, or a white blood cells, and all the ingredients of white blood cells like lymphocyte and zonophil and other, are very important because uh, those are actually a part of our immune system and they are helping us to fight this uh, uh, virus. And at least until we have a vaccine, this is our best protection. So basically, if you're asking what should I do or what I'm doing, every time that I'm outside, put the mask on, keep the two meter distance in uh, England, correct? Or six feet yeah. in the US. Uh, and uh, try to uh, optimize yourself. So sleep well, exercise, uh, be sure that your vitamin D is the, in the right level, the vitamin C that you're consuming enough, and, uh, and try to be positive and, uh, and have a good mood. So we mentioned the uh, vitamin D and C. Um, is there any difference in me taking a supplement for those or getting them through a natural way? Yeah, um, so... Vitamin C you can definitely get from uh, some fruit and other sources. Vitamin D, it's pretty hard to get it from uh, natural sources. The main uh, source is a significant amount of source is uh, fatty fish. Uh, And also there are some uh, kind of mushrooms that uh, especially when they are exposed to UV light, they have a higher uh, level of uh, vitamin D. 
it's very hard to find those mushrooms. Mm. Um, and I can tell you that when I started the companies, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, I was uh, trying, uh, obviously I got tested and I realized that my vitamin D is low. So I uh, started to eat fish and I ate fish for uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner for uh, almost a month. Uh, you can imagine the smell in my kitchen. Um, and then after a month, I uh, tested and my vitamin D haven't moved at all. So I moved into a supplement and supplement helped me. So um, what I'm trying to say here that uh, sometimes uh, food is not enough and vitamin D is a good example for that. You, I think that I will encourage you to try to get it from uh, fish, but uh, there is a good chance that it won't be enough. So in that case, I will go for a, a supplement. Um, for vitamin uh, uh, C, I think that uh, 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 eating uh, uh, fruits and vegetables should uh, give you a sufficient amount of vitamin C, but I don't think that it's too bad to take also a supplement because it's a water-soluble uh, um, 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 vitamin that if you have a over, it will just uh, wash well by the urine, so it's not a big problem. I just have one or two questions left. The first one would be, um, and I imagine you would recommend uh, David Sinclair's lifespan in this, but um, are there any books that you could recommend our audience go and check out, read, and start to learn from because our audience are avid readers? Yeah, so first I have to say and confess that I'm mainly reading scientific papers and less books, but definitely, actually I have it here. Um, I, I love David Sinclair book and I really recommend it. I think that he wrote a very good book and it's a pioneering book about the aging process and actually how can we fight it and I... I I read it in a, a lot of joy. Um, I'm actually uh, very interested in, uh, um, because I'm a, a founder of a company and uh, um, uh, building a, a consumer-oriented tool, I uh, really like uh, and uh, very fascinated about uh, user engagement, behavioral changes, and uh, all of that. So uh, forgive me, but that this book is not from uh, uh, the aging uh, field. So there is a, a very good book that's called Hooked by uh, Nireyal about yeah. uh, uh, how to build habit-forming products. I don't know if you read this book. Yeah, we've, uh, we've actually interviewed Nireyal on, on this podcast, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so I think that that's a great book. It's very simple and explain to you how can you, uh, the, maybe the art of uh, engaging user. And I think that... Uh, a lot of time, this engagement go to the bad direction, like what Facebook and uh, uh, Instagram and other uh, social media are doing. They're basically trying you to look at the next person. Not so, but actually, in health and performance, we are not using those tools, and then people are not excited to come to our uh, app and they're going to Facebook. So we will implement all of that and give you a, a reward when you do something and allow you to enjoy what you are doing and look forward to the graph of how your resting heart rate changed today and what can you do and how your score is changing. All of that, I think that that will make us, a, a, make a, as big impact maybe as a, what the book of David Sinclair is saying because it will allow us to take the population that is less educated and the, a, a, less motivated to do that 
and allow them to enjoy what we are doing because we are a bit more motivated, more educated. So I really like this book. And actually, I, uh, after reading it, I bought it for uh, uh, all of my product team and I told them, you have to read it and let's implement it. So uh, that's a, a nice book that I've read recently. Amazing. Yeah, Nia Eyal is, um, is a good friend of our podcast. So uh, great book. I recommend that one as well. Um, for everyone listening now, where can they find out more about yourself and your company? Can they find you online? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, the company website is insidetracker.com. Um, they can also find me there. They can also find me at uh, LinkedIn or uh, Twitter or uh, uh, other places. Um, and yeah, uh, we will be more than happy for your audience to try InsideTracker and let us know how is it going. Amazing. InsideTracker.com. Everyone go and check it out. Gil, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope to speak to you again soon, sir. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I really admire that in, in a young age you are already looking forward. So I think that's, it's, it's great to have people like you that thinking about the future when at your age I felt like I'm invisible. I can do everything. I, and uh, you are, you are uh, forward thinking, so I, I really appreciate it and, uh, and uh, acknowledge that. Before you guys go, I just want to remind you, if you are interested in becoming healthier, wealthier and wiser, please sign up to our free newsletter at freedompact.co.uk forward slash newsletter. And I will assure you now, There is no marketing involved, there's no noise, there's no nonsense. It is just free value from us to you every single Monday. So please sign up at freedompack.co.uk forward slash newsletter. And subscribe to us on YouTube. It really helps us out and means a great deal to us. And that is youtube.com forward slash freedompact.